in three, two, one. Sandy Eggers is an expert in building resilience and overcoming adversity. Sandy has helped countless individuals and organizations to navigate through challenging times by providing them with practical strategies and tools to build their resilience. In this episode, Sandy will share her insights on how to develop resilience, overcome obstacles, and bounce back stronger than ever before. Get ready to be inspired and motivated as Sandy shares her powerful strategies and techniques for building resilience and thriving in the face of adversity. Join me now for my conversation with Sandy Eggers. Well, hi, Sandy. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Oh, I'm delighted to be here, Michael. Thank you so much for having me today. Now, where are you at today? I am in the Low Country, Charleston, South Carolina. Beautiful place. Yeah, it, it truly is. Spring and fall are the key seasons. Well, good. Well, we're excited to have you, and we're here talking about resiliency and something we can all benefit from. And you talk about it being as the number one thing that we should be working at as leaders. And to be a resilient leader, we've got to develop that and have that kind of growth mindset. And building resilience is a critical element of that, whether we're a leader or not, personally or within Indeed. our own families. Is yeah, it's all about resiliency. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you learned about being resilient in both your personal and academic life. I have always been quite adaptable, even as a youngster, always inquisitive, having a learning, curious mindset that really helps and as you're growing and meeting change. But I think what really tested my mettle from a personal standpoint, what really boosted my ability to be resilient was adversity. And that is often the key to resilience. They often go hand in right. hand, even though the positive events can help you build resilience. And that's a totally different subject. But adversity, most assuredly. And so that adversity in the last 20 years, I faced the terminal illness and death of my husband, financial setbacks in 2008, some major ones, moving from one city to the next on my own, starting a new life. And then from one region, the upper Midwest to the South where I'm now moving again. And so making those changes takes a lot of internal resilience and the ability to conquer those doubts, to deal with those doubts and the uncertainty and weigh the positive and negative and continue forward. Sure. And I'm sorry to hear that about your husband. That's always a, a tough thing. What was his name and when did he pass? His name, sure. His name was the Reverend Dr. Stephen Mark Eggers, if you want to be official. He achieved his PhD just about two years before he was diagnosed. And he passed away in 2005. So it was about a two and a half year battle. But initially, the colorectal surgeon, when he discovered what was wrong with Steve, gave us three courses of treatment. And he had started his count by saying, for the first course of treatment, if you do nothing, you'll be dead in a few days. So that again, really shook us. And we had to just marshal our resources in order to Absolutely. Fight Challenging times. When it comes to resiliency, there's many misconceptions about being resilient. So before we talk about what it is, can you tell me what it's not? That's a very good point, Michael. Thank you for bringing that up. When people think of resilience, they often think, oh, well, in order to get through this adversity, I must have stoicism. I must have that stiff upper lip and just plow through. Resilience is not that. It's not just going through adversity just to plow through it because you can learn a lot by properly going through adversity. And adversity too is not some immutable genetic trait that some people have and others don't. 
there's a lot of research to support that resilience actually can be learned, which is really great news for a lot of people, myself included. Do we have to go through adversity to learn it, or do we have to get the building blocks from understanding what happens? It's kind of like the stages of grief. When we have grief, when your husband passed, and there's a roadmap, you can actually follow and go, I'm in this one right now, or I'm going back to this one again, and we can understand where we are. When it comes to resiliency, do we have that as well? Do we understand what those steps are and how to develop that resiliency? It's such a complex issue. They're not steps per se, but and there's multiple factors that help one build resilience, but we can at least identify a few that when looked at, when maybe going through some exercise to build those attributes can help build resilience. And one example is research has shown that optimism, just the general ability to see the positive things in events and in life can help build that resilience, can help people go through that adversity. And there are techniques to help, even if you don't consider yourself an optimistic or a positive person, there are techniques that can help you at least improve that trait, that attribute for yourself so that you can be. That's for building resilience. But the number one thing that you have to start with, especially as you're going through and determined to do something new, which is build resilience, you have to have a growth mindset. And I'll talk a little bit more if I have the opportunity toward the end about how people can help get that start with their growth mindset. I have something, a special offer I'd like to, to make. Absolutely. Well, we'll make sure we cover that. Well, I said, we all have adversity being a young kid and then you get the adversity and you deal with it. And mine was never too severe, severe enough for me, but it was, you you go through it and you go, okay, well, wait a minute, that didn't kill me. And so if that didn't, maybe I'll try this and maybe I'll try this. But it's interesting with the optimistic attitude because optimism does get you far. Sometimes it takes you out of reality and it's a matter of looking at things. We had a guest on our show here recently, and she talked about when's the time to give up. Like, when is it time to give up and say, hey, wait a minute, it's counterproductive and recognizing that it's counterproductive and terminating that and moving on. And that can be part of the resiliency as well. It's building your life stamina almost, isn't it? It is. And you brought up a very important point. I certainly don't mean to say that optimism, it went gone too far that you become unrealistic and you can't deal with that situation. You're absolutely right. And it's interesting also too, that research has shown the other attribute that helps one build resilience is also called surrender, knowing in much what your guest said, knowing when you have done everything you can, there's nothing more. And it's actually an active step to surrender that situation. You let go. Yes. Because otherwise the irony is the more you try to control something, the more it controls you. So you're not (laughs) achieving at all what you would hope to. That's right. There is a point to that. I found it interesting when you use the word stoicism, being stoic in the environment. And I actually read the stoics. I love reading the philosophers, right? Yes. And when certain events happened, it's their outlook at it, which is where we got the word, oh, they're being stoic, almost non-emotional in an event. But you can be very much impacted by it. But the key is you maybe processed it. We all have a knee-jerk reaction to a situation. Something happened, bad, I'm going to react naturally. And then it's like, okay, wait a minute, can I control this? And I think that's part of this process is going, is it in my control or not in my control? If it isn't, let it go, move on, and just focus on what I can control. Absolutely. Now, if you were going to define resilience, because like I said, it's broad, it's broad-based. Correct. How would you define it? We're going to explain to somebody said, what does resilience mean? Because it can mean different things to different people. How do you define it? Correct. And again, there's, I guess, in the last few years, 12 different definitions of resilience from psychologists as they've done their research. 
But the one that I will go for with today is actually done by Dr. Paul T.P. Wong. He's a registered psychologist and originated what is known as meeting-centered counseling and therapy. And he says that resilience is an individual's ability to positively cope with stress and adversity, bouncing back to a previous state of normal functioning or using the experience of adversity to enhance flexibility and overall functioning. A way to sum it up is resilience is the ability to bounce back. And that's actually included within that Latin word, resilient, do bounce back. So that is the meaning of resilience. That's a great definition. So it's a building block in companies you maintain, I believe, and assert that leaders can build resiliency into their organizations. Absolutely. And I know that's part of the focus of your work. So what's the number one thing you have to have first before you can begin to build true resilience? Well, if you're building resilience, you're wanting to do that, that is actually a new venture for many, thinking that they actually can do that and then having the techniques to do that, which they can. But in order to do that, you have to be open. You have to have a growth mindset. And there are several attributes, there are at least five of a growth mindset that you can mull over, that you can try to achieve that will help you expand your mind. One of those is to be having an open, curious mind wondering, well, what if, how does this work? Could there be some positive things out of this situation? So that also that curiosity often goes hand in hand with constant learning. That will help you in adapting to quickly changing circumstances. And as the business leaders out in your audience know that change is inevitable and they've had to face tremendous changes in the last few years. Well, as you build individual personal resilience in your organization, your people organization, that does have a relationship to institutional resilience. There's two different things. When you talk about institutional resilience, and here's all the, that's why things can get murky. We're talking about financial systems. We're talking about business plans, all the structure, all the processes that go into a business, one of which includes the organization. And within that organization, of course, are people. So to build organizational resilience within an institution, i.e. business, one needs to build personal resilience in your employees. In fact, the chairman of McKinsey and Company's offices in Asia wrote an interesting article talking about how it goes hand in hand and how it's important. So it's bottom line stuff, really, when you consider it. It's kind of like if you want a learning-based organization, you have to have learning-based individuals who are focused Uh on learning. True. So when it comes to if we're in a resilient organization, we have to instill and train resilience within that organization. And that's not something you see. We work in the corporate world. You see the talks, oh, be resilient, but nobody really gives you a formula or what does that look like? And we all have to deal with our stuff, right? Yes. And so I could see that being a real focus of education within organizations. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. 
And now back to my conversation with Sandy Eggers. So what are the benefits then to an organization that is resilient? So if for building resilience as a business leader or corporate leader, what would that give me if I build that into my organization? What are some of the things I should be able to expect from an outcome perspective? Well, I'll read them and I'll be curious to know what you think sure. this describes in some. If you have resilient people, you'll have people who meet the demands of their professional and personal lives successfully. You know, they have that resilience, that inner fiber, as it were. They take action to deal with challenges and problems and setbacks. So they're very proactive. They seek support and assistance when they need it. One word is mindful or very cognizant of their own limitations and their personal mm-hmm. attributes, their personal situation. They know when to stop, rest, and replenish those resources. At the same time, they have a sense of independence, self-efficacy, and self-worth. They form and maintain positive, mutually respectful relationships with others. And they have a sense of purpose and goals for the future, which helps, again, someone go through adversity or any kind of challenge. Now, in my estimation, that sounds like a pretty nice definition of a good employee, wouldn't you say? I would. Yes. Yeah. And it's instilling that and that philosophy in the minds of your employees. And you have a framework for building resilience. I think you call it the resilience quadrant. Quadrant, yes. Yeah. And you work on physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. Let's unpack that a little bit. Absolutely. Because it is such a complex process and many factors, it helps to begin to frame it in a quadrant. And so let's consider then the upper left being the physical, Mm -hmm. the upper right being the emotional, psychological part of a person, the lower left being the social aspect of people, and the lower right, existential, spiritual. So thinking into those terms, those are aspects of an individual. And there are certain techniques and certain things one can do directed to that, let's say, physical or psychological to help build the resilience in those ways. As you're going, I may give a more concrete example. That's a bit of Yeah, strength. yeah, exactly. In each of those quadrants. And in one quadrant, hold the day. We might be heavy, for instance, on the spiritual side, or maybe it's on the social side. Any one of those can lift you up is the phrase I want to use, or support you when needed. But if you can balance it on there, you're going to find a total holistic approach to your resiliency. Absolutely. And the rationale behind thinking in those terms in the quadrant is because you're going through adversity that puts a strain on your physical, your social, emotional. It it can strain your social relationships and certainly the spiritual existential part of you can be strained too. Right, right. So if we're starting with physical, Mm -hmm. what can we do to help build resiliency from the physical? And we'll just give an example in each of those quadrants. Absolutely. Well, maintain a healthy diet, having those good nutrients, make sure you've got plenty of vitamins and do your best to eat fresh, healthy, preferably clean foods. That sounds so basic, but that's so intrinsic to one's physical well-being. Well, I think so. And if you're eating poorly, I always look at it as fuel. And I've had to change my thinking around that because sometimes I like to eat some bad fuel. You know, (laughs) we all do. uh, Yeah, but I feel better with it. So, you know, first thing I do is I get up in the morning and I go for a walk. First thing, five o'clock in the morning, I'm out. I do five, six miles every single morning. Wow. But that's my R&D time. So I read with my ears and then I come back and make myself a nice green drink with lots of nutrients and I don't get into the coffee right away. And I feel good. Starting point is I feel good and I'm putting some good micronutrients into my body. So physical is important. And from a stress or a workout point of view, it's good for burning through some of those issues. It's hard to be in two places at the same time when you're focused on working out. Yes, that's or true. exercise. Yeah. So you say that's- nutrition, exercise, eat good, clean foods. Yep. Good yes. example. Mm-hmm. Water. Okay. Uh, psychological. Again, there's that positive or optimistic approach to challenges. And there are ways, as I said, techniques to help you through that as well. Now, what I want to say is 
while these are rather proscriptive, I do dive deeper and, and actually help. Well, what does that look like? How can I achieve that if I positivity is not my strong suit, for example? Are you talking self-talk and what we say to ourselves? Oh, actually how you can envision yourself. There's an exercise called My Best Self. And again, research-based that if someone is encouraged to, well, think of what your best self looks like five, 10 years from now. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Really immerse yourself in that. And then also I've heard some techniques where you imagine that I've not used it, but I've heard other coaches and even therapists use it, where envision that better self and then have that better self talk to the current self. How would they solve the problem? So you're helping expand your mind. Yes. And then that first exercise that I outlined that I like to do is it helps people get out of the immediate situation and helps encourage them, helps again, those positive attitudes like, yeah, this is what I want to work toward. And then they begin thinking about their current circumstance. How can this current circumstance serve me to where I want to go? I heard a line one time, how do we become the greatest version of the grandest vision I ever had of myself? There you go. Yes. Right. And yeah, yeah. it's getting that picture and then using that time to reflect. And I think there's some psychological tools we can use, like for instance, journaling. We talk about that yes. on the show. I find journaling, I start with gratitude. And so for me, when I do a gratitude, all of a sudden my problems don't look so bad compared to the other problems in the world. I was at a hotel the other day and I ran into the housekeeper and she had a Ukrainian accent. So I asked her, I said, are you from Ukraine? She goes, I am. And she said, I'm here with my daughter. And I said, oh, and how's your family? And she says, well, my husband and his brother are on the front lines and they're fighting. And oh my. Aaron, she's yeah. been over for six months. Yeah. And it's the resiliency, right? They're working yes. hard. And that's a great example of a country and people who are being resilient and they're sticking up for what they believe in and not rolling over, right, to a, you know, an oppressive regime. But I'm grateful. I don't have to go through that. My kids, my grandkids don't have to go through that mm -hmm. and experience that. And you don't want to develop your resiliency through those kinds of experiences, but it's still having that right attitude to it. And like you said, so doing an inventory, maybe. What do I have? What's in my life? Who's in my life? What am I grateful for? That can help set you up from a psychological perspective. Very much. And doing those exercises and having that mindset, the growth mindset that will lead to helping you build your resilience. Then the next time that something adverse happens, you'll have greater resources to rely upon. Yeah. Greater framework. Let's talk about the social quadrant. Okay. Social, it's important for all of us. I mean, we're social creatures as human beings. So yeah. we really need that contact with other people. So in this case, it's important to surround yourself with people who really believe in you, wanting the best for you, not there to judge you. And not just people that as advice, perhaps going through an adverse situation can be, but just people to be around that will help buoy you up. And you might even think of in terms of going on a spontaneous adventure, inviting your best friend along. It's that social interaction helping you get through. Well, it's creating that network of people, as you say, that are supportive of you no matter what, and no matter what you're experiencing or you're going through. And so your social network and not necessarily relying on your social media friends, which really <laughs> are friends, but if you can count your friends on one hand, you're rich. Yes. You know, true yes. friends. So who will help you bury the body or who can you call <laughs> in the middle of the night mm -hmm. or will bail you out of jail and not tell anyone, you know, that's your yes. friend, right? So yes. it's having that social network is important to us and being able to be yourself and be authentic and be vulnerable in that environment. I oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No one served well when you're not. No. And then the last quadrant is spiritual, whatever that means to Correct. an individual. Explain that a little bit, how that can help. 
often not every adversity, but there are certainly we've all faced adversity or challenging situations that have seemingly come out of nowhere. We have no or very little control over. Especially in those situations, it's important to have a belief in a higher power person. Something greater than you. Something greater. Than, exactly. That's a great summation. Yeah. Yeah. Because that helps by, again, relying on that higher power, something greater than you, that will help you also surrender, which is, again, right. an effective psychological technique. I think we human beings sometimes want to control far too much than we really have no control over what we think we might have control. Yes. Right. Well, it's kind of like from a resilient point of view, I realized that after the pandemic, things can happen. Yes. Uh, For example, we're coasting along just nicely and the pandemic hits. Well, as a speaker, all the engagements just cancel. Everything just Mm. canceled the whole year. My business is recession proof, but it's not pandemic proof. Who saw that coming? I cried for a week. It was like, oh, what's happening here? Because it was uncertainty. And then once we came through, we went, oh, geez, okay, well, that wasn't that bad. Even though it was pretty bad, we were able to keep people and and keep our team together and, and do what we do, but we had to pivot. And that kind of made it fun. And I'm always reminded of a quote by Warren Buffett. And he says, food always tastes best when you're hungry. Mm. And because it applies to so much when we're striving for something that the best things in life were when we earned enough money on our first deal to go out for a state dinner mm-hmm. or have a glass of wine and whatever. And those are the joys, right? Yes. But yes. today could be your last day. We don't know if there's a tomorrow. So if today's the last day and you've experienced that or it's someone's last day, how do I want to go out today? What's my last day looking like? So that's why I get up early and stay up as late as I can possibly stand it. And then all day long, I want to do those things. I want to eat what's going to feed me in a good way, nutritious way. But my relationships, my activities. So if it was the last day, I want it to be an awesome last day. Let's transition just a little bit. We've got five different generations in business today. And as a leader, we have to instill resiliency, but is it done differently? You've got Gen Z, you've got millennials, you've got the baby boomers, you've got the Gen X. I can't remember all the Gens. So (laughs) should we be taking the same approach with all of them or do they build resiliency the same way? And here's why I'm asking. I am a baby boomer. And we always had to work for things. Generationally, we had to work. We had jobs early at 10, 12 years old, paper routes, doing that. Then we had our family and our kids. And as a parent, I wanted my kids to study and go to school so they didn't have to go out and get paper routes. We wanted them involved with sports so they wouldn't get involved with other things. We did things for them to help them, to give them a leg up, to give them a head start. But I wonder if sometimes by providing all of those things that we sometimes take away from the resiliency of those younger generations, because some generations, people will say, oh, well, they've got an entitled mentality. Well, we Mm. created that. We created Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. as a leader, and I'm not saying they should be entitled to a lot of things, like entitled to clean air, entitled to a safe planet, be able to walk down the street and go to a park and be safe. And they should be entitled to have their money protected when they're saving. They should be entitled to come out of school if they get an education and not be broke the rest of their lives paying down debt. So yeah, I'm all in for entitlements, depending what they are. But how does that impact resiliency? You made a very good point. Each generation is so unique and has a different characteristic. According to a study by Randstad, here are the four generations that are in the workplace today, and I'll share their characteristic briefly and some specific points that they give to build resilience. They start with Gen Z. They describe Gen Z as a generation that seeks truth and authenticity. Well, that's really a great start for resilience, to be sure. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So 
some ways you could help them is develop tactics to minimize their workday distractions and improve concentration because they're on the phone and doing all of this that they've yeah. been used to that environment. A mentor would help to grow their leadership skills because they're just learning. Create a plan that ensures their mental health is a priority by exploring different work hours, set timers for breaks and things. Millennials are described as a generation of wonder and determination. And so their coaching for resilience could focus on strategies for coping with the work-life stress of taking care of a family while dealing with the responsibilities. Another point, overcoming tension with a particular coworker or team member to facilitate better collaboration on project success and ideas for navigating a new type of project from developing ideas to execution. So to help them get out of that rigid, they're under stress and have that rigidity. Right. Gen X is a generation described as built on perseverance and problem solving. So for them, resilience could look like stress management to help balance the challenges of taking care of aging parents and raising children at the same time, strategies for building soft skills for their advancement or new role, and certainly financial planning challenges and changes helping support them with that as they now are looking toward retirement. And baby boomers, you mentioned how hardworking, and I'm a baby boomer too, a part of that group. They're described as they bring to the workplace professionalism and resourcefulness in spades. Isn't that true? Yeah, <laughs> so. I think so. Yeah, we had to. There was nothing else. Yes, it's, yes. It's like my baby pictures were black and white. Our first TV was black and <laughs> yeah. white. Yeah. I remember record albums, cassette, eight tracks, everything we had to build, we had to fix it. Now we live in this instant gratification era and people want things quickly. We didn't get the flow of information quickly. So we had Correct. to bounce back. We didn't have the tools. We had different tools, right? Mm -hmm. We had different tools. And, but at the end of the day, we're still trying to develop and build our resiliency. So I think that adversity helps And every generation. We want to make it easier for the next generation. We want the best for our kids. But at the same time, it's almost a double-edged sword. We almost robbed them from the opportunity to develop that resiliency. And that's so hard to know. So would you like to know how we should perhaps help to build resilience, our yeah, generation. Let's, yeah, let's talk about Okay. That. I don't think this is necessarily true for you and me, but it sounds as though I think as a whole, the generation is helping them to better adjust to flexible technology-based working arrangements, remote and hybrid work, uh, non-traditional nine-to-five, identify learning courses and trainings that can expand their existing skills, whether that be technology or public speaking, mm -hmm. and determining new and creative ways to put knowledge and skills to use. So that's Randstad's finding. And of course, like all generalizations, it doesn't fit everyone to a T. It won't. But those are their recommendations. Yeah, so. interesting. And like I say, it's being aware of it and then putting those tools in place or learning opportunities in place for all those generations to build that resilient organization. Let's move on to the growth mindset. You teach that we should have a growth mindset. And it's the first building block to build resilience. Let's talk about that. Okay. So there, as I said, at least five things that you can do to have a growth mindset and getting back. Why is a growth mindset important? I just want to reiterate, right. you're going to be learning new techniques and new ways of thinking. So you've got to be open to that. So we start with a growth mindset. And what does that mean? Well, what does that look like? It means that you accept the fact, for example, that there is change. So not just accept it, which is one stage, but the next stage, actually embrace it. And that's where the third aspect of being positive actually comes in. You approach this change with a positive attitude and begin to say, instead of saying, you know, what could go wrong? I mean, certainly if you're analyzing something, you want pro and con, but also see, well, what good can come out of it? What will this lead to? Is it something different? How can I benefit? How can I grow? An example, even through the greatest adversity of seeing your husband and high school sweetheart die of cancer, 
mm-hmm. through that journey that we went on together, we saw the positive that came from it. We became more cognizant of relationships. We valued them more. We valued the simple things in life. So it reminded us of those other things that we had been missing. Now that's a difficult way and a very difficult adversity to go through. Right. 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 But I just wanted to illustrate that you can see, even in the midst of that difficulty, that huge adversity, you can find the gold in it. You can find those nuggets. And that by doing that, that helps you get through it. And then what I did is then I also wrote a book based on our emails we sent friends and family, which were teaching them what we're learning about life. So once again, giving and sharing helps you. So those were the three, the top three of having a growth mindset. So when you define growth, it's not just necessarily business growth. It's that personal growth as an individual. And if you have an organization with people who are focused on personal growth, the organization is going to flourish as well. Exactly. Exactly. That's where you're going with Okay. Well, it has been true at least in the last 10 or 20 years, but more than adapting, thriving within change and innovating with change. You said something interesting, Michael, earlier about the pandemic and how your business and how you saw your business within that context. And I heard an interesting comment you said. You began to see that, gosh, as I'm pivoting, that was actually kind of fun. That illustrates a very positive attitude. That illustrates of how, in just what I was saying, how can I look at this challenge? I can't change the reality, but I can change my attitude toward it. I can change some of my actions. And you did just that. Right. And that made a difference. You know, I have a couple of friends who are Everest climbers, Al Hobson, Jimmy Clark, they climbed Everest three different times. And the first time they were 300 meters short of the top. The second time they were about 150 meters short of the top. And the third time they actually summited. People died on their expeditions. I mean, it was brutal. Seven years of journey, right? And I was speaking in an event about three weeks after they got back from the mountain and they're beat up and beat up emotionally the whole bit just because it takes such a physical toll on you. I said, what was it like when you finally summited? When you finally reached your goal, millions of dollars of investment, people died on the journey. You got to the top of the summit. What was that like for you? What was that moment? Describe that moment. And he goes, anticlimactic. And I went, what? Yeah. He goes, yeah. He said, I realized the moment I summited that it wasn't about the summit. It was about the journey. Ah, And he goes, it was the whole trip. It was the whole preparation. And 60% of climbers die on the way down after they've summited, which is interesting. So they hit their peak and they've done it. They've, whew, I got there. I've, I've made that goal. So the goal was to summit, wasn't to get up and get back down again. Right. But again, that resiliency And the stories they tell, it's a metaphor that they use, obviously. But he said, I'm tired of being a human doing. I'm just do, 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 do. And he goes, I just want to go home and be a human being. And it was like, wow, it totally changed the perspective. We missed the trip. And so we always have these goals. I want to make a million dollars. I want to be a millionaire. I want this. I want that. And we miss the journey. And we get to the end of our existence. And we've missed that entire trip right? Because some people aren't cut out to be a millionaire. I don't even know if they're good goals. When we set our goals and maybe we have setbacks, our business fails, and we have people who are listening who started a side hustle or a side gig, and maybe it hasn't worked. Well, you keep going and you learn what didn't work. And when it's time to throw in the towel, throw in the towel and do something else. No big deal. It's getting back up again. That really matters, isn't it? Right. And what you've learned along the way, at least you did that. Yeah. I think the worst thing that, in my opinion, that can happen to an individual 
as I say, near the end of their life is to realize they had an opportunity to do something, but they were too scared to do it or held back other things that they could have conquered, held them back. And that's a huge regret. It's one thing to say, I've chosen this path. So B and C are no longer my choices. You accept that reality, but just not to try not to fulfill that dream that you had. And then, like I say, that personal resiliency, and it can be inspired lots of different ways. And just to tag onto that, I think it fits nicely here. Yeah. Al and Jamie, they play a video with they had one of their climbs. They had a climber. I think he was from Australia, part of their team, and he collapses. They all make it back. The weather was bad and he collapses halfway down and he's in the snow and they can see him from their telescopes and he's not getting up and he's done. They can't send people back up and get you. Matter of fact, if you die up on the mountain, typically they leave you there. You, yes. you end up, you'll be buried there, so to speak. And this climber is down and they're trying to get him to gain consciousness and he's not there. So they get his two daughters online who are like five and seven years old and they have the audio and the video of this. So they play the audio and the audience is in tears and you hear the little girls going, Hey, daddy, get up, daddy, daddy, get up. You can do this, daddy. And after a few minutes and the little girls are talking to him, you see him start to budge start to move and he plunges back and he comes back and he plunges down the hill. He ended up losing fingers and toes, but he survived. And with his family. Wow, that is inspiring. Yeah. But and the audience is in tears, but it's that resiliency. And we all have that, that fortitude and it's going to develop. It's like a muscle, isn't it? Resiliency is like a muscle. So we have to work it instead of having things just on easy street all the time. The adversity is that refiner's fire. That's going to make a difference for us in the long run. Indeed. And you earlier had mentioned about your friend talking about it's the journey and the enjoying it. That's something that researchers have called savoring. And they found that here's the aspect of how positive events can help build resilience. They found that when you take time to savor, even to think back on something that really, really just tripped all your cylinders, just really gave you joy and for whatever reason, that when you think about that, when you savor that, when you hold that, those emotions can help you deal with negative things such as adversity. So that's interesting. So, that's a great so tip, savoring. I love that. That's a good, good tip. That's a value bomb right there. Do you have any uh, tips to leave with our listeners around resiliency or developing resiliency? And how do they find you? You can find me at yourlifeabundantoneword.com, yourlifeabundant.com, triple dub, as we all know. And I would say practice self-care and really be listening to yourself. It's so important to, as it were, take care of yourself, to listen, to be mindful. And the second tip I would give is know this too shall pass. I mean, when you're in the midst of adversity, it seems like it's never ending and you're dreading it and it's difficult. Embrace that for sure. Embrace that goes, as they that say, goes for good times suck. and bad times too. And this too shall pass again. That's I, right. You're yeah. right. So it works for good or bad. Yep. It does. It does indeed. And know that you've gone through this before, or at least others have, and they've survived, if not thrived. And lastly, I would encourage all your listeners to come and visit my website, yourlifeabundant.com. And on the homepage, I've got an infographic that will help guide you through developing that growth mindset, taking that next step. Yeah, we'll have all that information in the show notes and yourlifeabundant.com and you can get the infographic. San Diego, this was very informative, interesting. You're doing good work. And thanks for the tips and get us thinking about being resilient and how we can become better leaders and individuals and human beings. And because stuff is coming down the line and good times or bad, those are going to pass and it's just get ready for the next one. And one day we won't have to be so resilient. We can just kind of <laughs> let go. And I think that's yes. maybe when letting go is the name of the game. At the end of the day, we can take a big breath and go, whew, that was a life well lived. So thank you for being our guest. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a joy. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.